You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is the Locked On NBA Draft podcast live from Las Vegas. I just got finished watching the Gonzaga UCLA basketball game as well as a bunch of other games here in Vegas. It has been a week packed full of college basketball here. I've been able to see a lot of it in person and a lot on TV. Stay tuned to find out my reaction. The title sponsor of this episode is True Bill. Stop falling for subscription spams and sign up today at truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. You are locked on the NBA draft. As always, it is Wednesday morning. And as such, you are joined by your host today. It is me, Sam Ferris. You can follow me on Twitter at DraftDummies. I'm constantly posting my thoughts, some stats, some clips that I'm uh, watching while I watch film. I'm constantly posting those on Twitter. But yeah, it's been an awesome week in college basketball. I've been able to be here in Las Vegas, so I've seen a lot of this basketball live, a lot more of it on TV. We've got a lot to cover today, but thank you for making the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast your first listen today, and hopefully that is the case every day. So we just got finished watching number one Gonzaga versus number two UCLA This is not something that happens too often. I think they said maybe 23 times actually in college basketball history that the number one team has played number two in the regular season. We had it very early on in the season this year. I think it was, you know, the fifth game or so for each of these teams. I expected Gonzaga to win and they won in a runaway. So during this first segment, I'm going to give some of my thoughts from that game. But the games that I was actually able to go to in person were the Roman main event from the last few days this past weekend. Arizona and Michigan were the headliners. UNLV and Wichita State were there as well. So I want to give my thoughts on those teams that I was able to see in person also later on in this episode. But we have to start with Gonzaga, UCLA, Again, runaway victory for Gonzaga. I think they ended up winning by 20. Yep, 83-63. to Let's start with the obvious star of the show. And to me, that was Chet Holmgren. Uh, Andrew Nemhard actually maybe had the best statistical game on 24 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals on 9 of 13. You could argue he's the heartbeat for that team. Mark Fuse said as much today during halftime. But um, let's get to Chet Holmgren. He is a guy that a lot of people have top three on their boards. I personally have him in that top three. I always, always have. So again, today, the numbers he put up, six of eight from the field, two of four from three, six rebounds, four blocks, 15 points. But as per usual with Chet Holmgren, his impact on the game that stamp uh, that he can just put on a game, especially with his defense, was much larger than the actual numbers in the box score. I've got a few more very interesting numbers on him coming up in a bit, but just to start with Chet Holmgren, 
you see the kid, you see how scrawny he is. He looks almost like Kevin Durant did when he was at Texas. But do not mistake him being skinny for uh, a lack of physicality, a lack of toughness. Th that's not the case. He has always had this knack for playing very well in big games. And so I I'm here, I'm staying at my parents' house in Vegas. Uh, obviously, we have Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow as well. So uh, perfect kind of timing that my parents live in Vegas. So I was able to see some of these basketball games. But, but before the game, I told my dad and my brother that I was watching the game with, I told them, a lot of people know who Chet Holmgren is, but this is going to be his big coming out party in terms of just a large national college basketball audience. He's played well against the bad competition, per se, early on in Gonzaga's season, but he hadn't done it on a national stage against a big team. And I, I just had this feeling we were going to see that from him tonight. That was the case. And the four blocks are awesome. I love looking at the block rate that guys have. I think that's a good way. It's a good indicator to look at block and steal rate because you can take more from those over a smaller sample. Like they, they tend to be better indicators, for example, than field goal percentage or shooting on a smaller sample. And it's just a good indicator of activity, athleticism. Obviously, Chet blocks tons of shots. His block percentage was right at like 15% coming into the game. And it's going to just go up from that, I do believe. That's a very good number. I've I've said in the past that Chet Holmgren is like a borderline generational rim protecting big and one of the best that I have ever seen at the high school level. And that was on display tonight. But a lot of people might just see, again, the box score, see the four blocks, but his, his imprint was larger than that. And the way I like to look at it, it's almost like a Rudy Gobert situation in college where... At times, he is just a one-man defense because, yeah, the blocks are great, but he also affects shots around the rim. But even more than affecting shots, the truly great rim protectors are actually rim deterrents. And that's where I compare him to the Rudy Gobert's because there were so many times that Tiger Campbell or Jaime Jaquez or whoever dribbled into the middle, got a foot in the paint, and just couldn't get a shot up. Uh, there was one specific play in the second half. Jaime Hawkins got a foot in the paint, looked to shoot, and realized he couldn't get a shot over Chet Holmgren. Tried to pass, but Chet's long arms were there too, and he just vacuumed the ball from Jaime Hawkins. He just can be that one-man defense. And so there is a way we can kind of track not only the the blocks and the affecting shots, but also deterring shots at the rim. And so... Using pivot analysis, I went and looked because you can look how many shots are the opponents getting at the rim with X player, in this case Chet Holmgren, with him on the floor versus off the floor. So with Chet on the floor this season, the opponents are getting about 44% of their shots at the rim, again with him on the court. When he is off the court, they're getting about 49-50% of their shots at the rim against Gonzaga. So around a 5 or 6% difference. You know, that is pretty substantial, but I wouldn't be surprised if that number increased, especially with tonight and over the course of the rest of the season. So that is a number that I will be keeping my eye on because it's a good indicator of how good a rim deterrent he is. And 
one other fun state on Chap of Chet before we move on. He was 20 for 20 on shots at the rim coming into the game tonight, which is pretty crazy stat, but they have played cupcake competition for the most part. I think uh, we'll have to check the uh, the tracking numbers when they come through for tonight, but I believe he is now 24 for 24 at the rim this season. To me, he has only solidified himself as a top three pick moving forward, and I'm sure I will continue to discuss him in future episodes, but it was just Chet doing Chet things tonight. Uh, in terms of what I saw from UCLA, well, we got to talk... I mean, he, he was not relevant to the game tonight, but in terms of the guy that a lot, a lot of people do believe is their best draft prospect, that is Peyton Watson. I've talked about how he has hardly played coming into the game, and tonight wasn't much different. He played only just a couple minutes and went 0 for 4 from the field with 4 rebounds. To me, part of the issue is Mick Cronin just hasn't played him in this easier, softer schedule they've had leading up. Uh, so he hasn't had a chance to build up that confidence, hasn't had a chance to get his rhythm, hasn't had a chance to establish himself as a college basketball player. Again, a lot of people mocked him as a lottery pick coming in. And look, we have seen guys come off the bench like Scotty Barnes, like Patrick Williams, you know, come off the bench in college but still be a very high draft pick. In fact, those guys went top half of the lottery, so we've seen that. But this is to the extreme, where he's just not really playing at all, especially against the better teams. And so right now, there's no way we can really project him at this point to be a lottery pick, I hope, because in my opinion, if UCLA is to reach their ceiling, he's at least got to be a guy that comes in and contributes off the bench, because... In terms of natural talent, he is their most talented guy on the roster. I, I love Jaime Hawkes' work ethic. I've always kind of liked him as a fringe guy, but to be honest, I, I don't really see him as an NBA player. Juzang also was very underwhelming at the Combine last year, and I just don't, I don't see him as like a real rotation guy on an NBA team either. And so I'm going to get to more on the Pac-12 as a whole when I cover Arizona and what I saw from them in a second. But that's kind of the, the quick synopsis. I mostly wanted to hit on Chet and Gonzaga. The question now with Gonzaga already looking forward is that question we had last year with them where can they run the full table? I certainly don't believe in college basketball there is a team as good as Baylor last season. So... That is what we're going to be monitor monitoring with Gonzaga for the rest of the season. Um, but coming up next, I want to talk about Michigan because I had a chance to see them twice live. And they were very underwhelming and I've got a couple points I want to hit on here. But first, we have to get a word from our sponsor, which is Truebill. They are a new sponsor we have and Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you do not need, want, or simply have forgotten about. On average, people can save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. 
So Truebill already has over 2 million users and has helped them save over 100 million in total. So do not fall for these subscription can scams. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Again, truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you potentially upwards of thousands a year. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I love Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving and just this time of year and the holidays is a time of snacks. It's a time of eating. It's a time of treats. So why not treat yourself to a Built Bar? They taste great, 100% covered in chocolate. If you've listened to the show before, you've certainly heard me talk about all the different flavors there are. Again, there is nothing like a Built Bar if you're comparing them to other protein bars. I much prefer Built Bars. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you can get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Okay, so we started off with a lot of positives, especially looking at Gonzaga, looking at Chet Holmgren's start to, well, in my opinion, he already was a top three prospect, but certainly announced to the world that he belongs in that conversation and has started to prove it at the college level. Now let's get to a guy that, in a team in general, that has not met expectations. I had a chance to see them play both... Uh, against UNLV this weekend and then kind of the headliner of the tournament against Arizona. Unfortunately, we do need to start... Actually, let's do it this way. Let's start with what is the issue with Michigan, the team, because I thought they would be a top 10 team coming in. They were ranked as such, but when you get into what they lost with Mike Smith at the point guard position, and then they lost two wings to the NBA and Franz Wagner and Sean D. Brown. It's just tough to overcome those losses. Franz Wagner has obviously been a guy that has exceeded expectations already as a lottery pick for the Orlando Magic. But those guys, obviously Hunter Dickinson got a lot of the credit. He's a great college player. But you take away the head of the snake, the point guard in Mike Smith. You talk about the do-it-all wing, the defensive stud in Wagner. And then Shondi Brown was a guy that I loved as well. That is just a lot of firepower and a lot of the heart of the team to lose. And they've replaced those guys mostly with Devontae Jones and Caleb Houston. Mostly are the guys soaking up those minutes. So part of the reason to me, part of the issue with me is, well, I think it's two things. Uh, first, I think it, Devontae Jones to me is, he just, he's the transfer, transfer from Coastal Carolina. He's certainly not an NBA prospect in my opinion, but I just don't think he is the lead guard or has proven to be to this point that Mike Smith was last year. But the bigger issue probably is just the lack of, the lack of shooting. And Caleb Houston was supposed to be that guy, but until further notice, He's basically a non-shooter, and that is a huge issue for their spacing and their half-court offense. So, as a bit of a transition, uh, that will help us transition to talk about Caleb Houston, who I've talked about before. I had him as like a late lottery pick coming into the season. I especially liked what he did for Canada in the U19 World Cup this summer where we got to see him more on ball. We got to see a lot more of those creation reps. 
but that has not been the case at Michigan so far. I was hoping he could do, not that he's the same player as Wagner, but that he could kind of take those minutes and be close to the same level of effectiveness, and he has been a very big negative so far. You know, the biggest strength with him is the shooting at six foot eight at the wing position. And scary stat here, but he has missed 16, I believe. Uh, I think it's even worse than that. I think he's like, I think he is four for his last 25 from the field. And I think he was three for 16 this weekend in the two games that I got to see him play. Not great. Not great at all. Um, so why is this the issue? What is all going wrong here? Again, the jumper isn't falling, but we'll start with this because the athleticism with him, we knew it wasn't that great. And he certainly does not have the traditional run, jump, quick twitch athleticism. He is a bit slow afoot. He's not like a he's not like a big dunker or anything like that. But a lot of times with a lot of the great players in the NBA offensively, you know, whether you think of Harden, whether you think of Curry, KD, those guys have very unique physical tools. I like to talk about them as just having a different type of athleticism. And a big thing you look for is the deceleration, the balance. Those are attributes that a lot of people don't equate to traditional athleticism, but they are huge offensively. The ability to get into a quick pull-up to slow down quickly, you know, that deceleration is the same thing that help, helps guys have that backward momentum to get into step backs as well. And, and the long way of saying this is, like, Houston certainly doesn't have the traditional athleticism, but I, I'm not really sure he has, you know, that unique... He, he doesn't really have even his own version of athleticism offensively. I, I don't see the deceleration. Like, he, he cannot really shoot off of movement he doesn't really shoot off of backward momentum, like getting into step backs is something he hasn't really done either. So for a high level comparison, Moses Moody was a guy I loved last year as a prospect. I had him in like the six to 10 range. I think he actually finished sixth, but he was in that, that tier. But Moody did have that deceleration, that ability to get into step backs, that ability to shoot off of movement as well to a certain extent. So they both weren't great traditional athletes, but I, I don't even see that ability with Houston, you know, whether it's the deceleration, the balance, or the shooting off of movement where I can project him to be that very high skill level offensively. And so that's where I'm starting to get worried with him. And I guess another way of looking at this is with good offensive players, or in other words, prospects that we view as offensive-based or offensive-first, like you're, you're drafting them for the offense, right? I want to see these guards or these wing players, you know, anyone that's playing on the perimeter, I want to see some of two things. I want to see them create some easy offense, both for themselves and for others, either one of the two, but hopefully both, right? You want to see them be able to have a way where they can create efficient offense. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you want to see the ability to take and make tough shots, a tough shot taker, tough shot maker, right? So a lot of the great players or even just good players in the NBA that are offensive based, 
you will see you'll see both. You'll see the ability to create simple but easy offense at times because you do need that baseline level of efficiency. But also, there are going to be times where they need to create and make tough shots. And frankly, I haven't seen Caleb Houston do much of either. Like, very rarely has he created this season a shot for himself or for others that, you know, he just made it look easy. He either just uses athleticism or his size or his brains or his skill to just create easy offense. I haven't seen that at all especially the on-ball reps with him have been pretty discouraging, just hasn't been able to create space. Okay, and then, like, there's going to be times where we need to see the special, like, they're getting into the other side of the spectrum, the tough shot taker, tough shot maker thing. I guess this goes without saying, since he just really hasn't made any shots at all this year, but I just don't see, I can't even really project him making like tough shots or taking tough shots. He doesn't have the athleticism. And again, that, uh, that, that other version of athleticism where he can decelerate, get into step backs, get into sidesteps, or even shooting coming off of screens off movement. Like I said, I, I can't really project that. I don't see that at this point. And so even if his shooting is kind of his best quality at 6'8", like it's tough to see him being a really good movement shooter. He, he struggled with, with that certainly in the games that I got to see him play. And that's been the case throughout college basketball. So in other words, it is a big stock down right now for Caleb Houston. I'd move him all the way from late lottery to late first round. Again, it's still early, but those are kind of my early thoughts on him. And the last thing I'll say too, like I said, block and steal rates are just kind of a quick measures of like activity and athleticism. And right now, Caleb Houston's block and steal rates, block rate of zero at six foot eight. He has not blocked a shot this season through five games. That is not good at all. And then a steal rate of just 1%, which uh, is not very good at all either for a guy that's six foot eight. So just the, the, the numbers for him, the indicators, the analytics, whatever you want to call them, those numbers are not great. And the film, both in person and on screen, has been bad as well. But this season, the season is four months long. These teams are not going to be the same four months from now as they are now. So they're either going to get better or they are going to get worse. We'll see what happens both with Caleb Houston and with Michigan. We're going to get into a break now and then, and then I'm going to hit on Arizona and some quick hitters on the Pac-12 in the final segment. It is Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means. It is time for football, and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. And it's not just football either. They've got pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Again, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, we are stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. All right, so let's quickly start with the Pac 12. 
the way that I'm going to do this is I predicted actually before the season, if you've listened to the show before or followed me on Twitter, I've talked about how I was higher on consensus on Arizona. I actually went on out on a limb and predicted that they would win the Pac-12. I predicted Azulis to, to Bellis to be the Pac-12 player of the year. It's too early to read way too far into it, but there certainly are things to take. One thing is that the Pac-12 overall has been pretty disappointing. UCLA got smoked, obviously, today by Gonzaga. But Oregon has looked terrible, too. They got smoked by BYU and then killed again uh, today by by St. Mary's. So the Pac-12 looks down, which has been a bit of the case recently. Uh, So specifically with Arizona, I did pick them to win the Pac-12 this year. And... What I saw from them was certainly more positive, though it was a bit strange because they, you know, this is college basketball, different matchups. They had to beat Wichita State in overtime, uh, but then they ended up beating Michigan very easily. And I will say, I thought Tommy Lloyd really did a great job coaching against Michigan. He, they did a bit of full court pressing and in the half court, they were doubling and trapping especially along the sidelines and also every time Hunter Dickinson got the ball. And I thought that was a great idea because I don't think Michigan is a great passing team. They've got a lot of new pieces as well. And Michigan was rattled and I love Tommy Lloyd as a coach. I think he's going to be one of the best coaches in all of college basketball moving forward. So what else I saw from Arizona this year first Christian Coloco at seven foot one has been very good this season he was a guy some people thought a few years ago could be a legitimate draft prospect obviously at seven foot one has decent mobility at that size and can block shots protect the paint had a bit of a down year last year I would say the like his box plus minus just kind of high level was lower than it was two years ago But this year, he looks like he's taken that leap. Again, just surface level comparing the box plus minus numbers, that's all the way up to 15.5 with a 16% block rate. And uh, if you look at his chart, again, I use Bart Torvik for a lot of my stats. If you look at his chart, it's just like all green. Everything is awesome. For Christian Coloco, he completely outplayed Hunter Dickinson this past weekend. I do think he could end up being a second round pick with that size and that rim protection ability. It's just hard to teach size. Certainly one of the things that I have learned over the past few draft cycles is that positional size is very, very valuable. We're seeing that with the early returns with Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, Evan Mobley. You just can't teach size and length and that still matters. And and I know a lot of people will counter by saying, well, small ball, Small ball, small ball, small ball. Well, it's not about size. It's not about small ball. It's about skill ball. It's getting about all your most skilled players out there on the floor. And that's why Franz, Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley have been so great. Obviously, yes, Christian Coloco is kind of the more traditional rim-protecting center, but there still is a place in the NBA for a guy like that. Azulis Dubelis is just a guy I really like to watch, and that even stood out seeing him in person. He He's bigger than he looks on TV. He's I think he's legit like 6'10", 
Um, he, he just has a good feel for scoring the ball. He was a guy that dominated for Lithuania in the under-19 World Cup this past summer. Um, I don't think he's necessarily a very good NBA prospect just because the defense is a question mark and the shooting out to the three-point line is also still a question mark. Certainly more of just a really good college player for now, but he was my pick for the Pac-12 player of the year, and I think he he's he hasn't been Arizona's best player uh, this year. I actually think that's either Coloco or Kerr Carissa, but um, there's still a lot of season to go. Okay, and Benedict Matherin is a guy that a lot of people view as a top two returner in college basketball and as a guy that could potentially go late lottery mid first round. I have him in about that range. I definitely prefer Jaden Ivey in terms of returners. And I think that Keegan Murray might play continue to play his way in front of Benedict Matherin. Uh, Matherin certainly outplayed Houston. We got to see he and Caleb Houston match up a few times. Matherin also looks good physically for sure. He had a couple dunks, including a very nice putback where he just seemed to hang in the air. So from a physical standpoint, standpoint, he certainly measures up though. Like for a three, he doesn't have great size. He's more six, 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 seven, um, more of like a two, three, but he certainly has decent size for an off guard. Um, had a slow start to the season, but I thought he played a lot better this weekend, including making his threes when he was open. He's not a guy that's done a lot of like pull-ups or self-creation. He seems to be better keeping it simple, whether it's a straight line drive off of a closeout or just hitting the open three or crashing the offensive glass. Um, something I'd be just going to be looking for with him moving forward is how good is he defensively? Uh, what level can he get to? Um, the the length is solid again for a perimeter player, but it's not outstanding. And the athleticism is good. So the physical tools, again, look solid. But that is something I'm going to be keeping an eye on because honestly, I don't know exactly how I would evaluate him on that side of the ball up to this point so far. Um, so a lot of fun basketball so far. I've enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed watching it. Uh, and over the rest of this week, we've got a lot more. Uh, only had time to cover the guys that I had a chance to see in person, plus the big Gonzaga-UCLA matchup, of course. But again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for making this show your first listen today and hopefully every day. Because you loved our show, <coughs> you'll probably also enjoy the Locked On Bets podcast, which is your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Again, Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. And just to finish up here, you can follow me on Twitter at DraftDummies. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in. I appreciate it.